This is Witness Conference 2014 with Sharissa Fong. The topic is, We Do Not Well. Let us just bow our heads once more and ask the Lord to lead us as we study the Bible together. Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for everything that you have done here uh, today and in our hearts. And as we have gathered once more this afternoon to study the Bible together, we invite the Holy Spirit to take the message of Holy Scripture and to make it real to us this afternoon. I pray that you would help our spiritual imagination to pick up and to take note of what is going on here. And I pray that the lesson which we learn from this study of your word will be one that will be life-changing, one that we will walk out and put into action as we leave the church later. We ask this now, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, whom we love. Amen. My subject this afternoon, I have entitled, We Do Not Well. And the story begins like this. The Syrian army had surrounded the city of Samaria. There was a very, very serious siege going on, so much so that the people inside the city of Samaria were literally starving to death. This is a good sermon to preach after we've all been fed, because otherwise you'd be sitting there getting hungry on me. But I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to read the story. Just to set the table a little bit, come over to the book of 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, I would like you to notice with me chapter 6 and listen to how the Bible describes just how serious this famine was. 2 Kings chapter 6 And we will read from verse 25 to 29. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we begin reading verse 25. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, that's good. It says here, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? For the threshing floor or from the wine press. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't function too well without food. I know it may not look like I eat a lot, but when I am hungry, my mood changes, and I just can't do anything until I've eaten. I believe I get this gene from my dad. He's part, well, he's Samoan, and uh, Samoans are happiest when they're fed. Amen. (laughs) So whenever I go traveling, for example, when I come here, the first thing my dad asks me when I call him on the phone is not, you know, how's everything going or how are you doing? He asks me, what are you eating? Because that's all he's interested in. So I have taken to photographing my food everywhere I go just because I know that's all he's going to be interested in when I see him again. But friends, at least I have food to photograph in a little while whenever I'm hungry. These leprous men are facing 
facing a very, very different situation. The insanity and the horror of the famine that is gripping the city of Samaria is so great, mothers are boiling their children. That is just terrible. And you know what the sad thing is? Is that Moses told the people in Deuteronomy, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, he said that if they forsook God, if God's people forsook him, then they would end up experiencing things just like this. It is a sad day when God's people turn their backs on him. Listen to what Prophets and Kings says concerning this uh, famine. Mrs. White writes, Never had Israel been brought into so great a strait as during this siege. The sins of the fathers were indeed being visited upon the children and the children's children. But friends, in the midst of a day of utter and complete hopelessness, God's prophets spoke a word of hope. We find what Elisha says in chapter 7. Let's read together from verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And now we reach the story, which I am dying to share with you this this afternoon. Let's read verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Friends, we don't know their names, but we know their crisis This miserable, wretched, leprous congregation of four men is shut outside the city gate. They are shut outside from all contact with society, and they're dying. Not only are they dying from the rotting, diseased corruption of their flesh, but they are dying because they're starving as well, and they're starving simply because nobody in the city has any garbage to let over the walls to feed them. They never gave the lepers good food. They just gave them the scraps that they weren't interested in. And the famine's so great, of course, nothing has been coming over the wall. But friends, as they sit there outside the city gate and they look at each other with these bloodshot eyes, they say to one another in hoarse whispers, why sit we here until we die? You know, that's a good question to ask. Oh, that we too would be done with doing nothing. Amen? Oh, that we too would rather move forward than stand still. Oh, that we would fear sitting down and doing nothing. Why sit we here until we die? There is power enough in that question, that thought, that ought to start a great revival among God's people. Every day, Thousands are ruined by inactivity. Instead of singing that good old hymn, like a mighty army moves the church of God, we have changed the words and we're singing a hymn that sounds more like this, like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers and sisters, we are treading where we've often trod. We're not making any progress. Notice with me verse four. 
If we say, they continue, we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. I love how the cogitation of these four men ends in action. They didn't just think about it and then let that thought pass them by. No, they thought about it and then they moved forward and did something on that action. How many good decisions get murdered in the pews of our churches before the people leave the building because they choose not to act upon the conviction that comes to their hearts as the Spirit is speaking. Verse 5, And they rose at twilight, to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, how many people were there? No one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. This is absolutely incredible. When God delivers, he really delivers his people. Amen? But notice here what unbelief is doing to God's people. Because unbelief is holding the people in the city of Samaria captive. This is what Spirit of Prophecy says. It says, every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. Every failure. Samaria sits in the twilight, shut up, and it's as though the men inside are locked inside an iron cage because they believe that they are surrounded by an enemy when that enemy has taken fright because they have been scared off by an imaginary army. Isn't that amazing? This is the most amazing picture. And because that army has taken off, Samaria, while the people are going to bed at night, cowering with fear and, and starving because they have no food, just outside the walls of their city lies an abundance of 100,000 men, an abundance that belonged to an army of 100,000 men. And it's just sitting there. Nobody is touching it. Friends, God is able to work in mysterious ways, amen? He goes above and beyond our highest expectations. Nothing is impossible for God. I heard a story just recently, and I know it's true because they shared it at the Adventist Media Network, and everything that comes through there is usually very true. Uh, one of, we had a delegation go from the AMN, and they went to Brazil to ins- investigate how our um, media network over there operates, and they came back with an incredible story. There was an Adventist student uh, in Brazil who was at a secular university, and an exam which he had to sit was being offered on Sabbath. So he asked if they could change the day from Sabbath to another day. And the university, uh, the professors or whoever, he, the board that it was taken to said, no, we can't change the day. Well, word of this got to a very wealthy Adventist in Brazil. 
When he heard about this uh, problem that the student was facing, he went ahead and bought the university. He then sacked the staff that prevented the student from having his exam changed, and the student was able to sit their exam. Um, so God, nothing is impossible with God. If there's a mountain, he can move it, amen? And he moved it for the city of Samaria. But the funny thing, the ironic thing about this story is that even though God has just liberated his people in perhaps one of the most amazing ways that God had ever worked for his people in all of human history, right here, because they have a famine of faith in their hearts, they continue to live in a way that doesn't show that they have any idea of the God that they are serving. The famine of faith in their hearts mirrored the famine that they were experiencing in their stomachs. Notice what we see now, verse 8. I love this. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. The curtain rises in verse 8 upon a new scene. And in my mind's eye, I like to imagine things when I read them in the Bible, I like to watch like a, a Bible movie in my mind. In my mind's eye, I can see these four lepers stealing silently and softly in the twilight into this enemy camp. I mean, they've got nothing to lose. If they sat outside the city walls, well, they're going to die. And if they go into the Syrian camp, well, at least the Syrians might be merciful. But if they die, well, it was nothing nothing new. But anyway, I can hear them as they come into this camp and they're trembling. Softly, Simeon, your tread is so loud you'll wake the dead if you keep walking like that. Yeah, cut it out, guys. Shh. If they're sleeping, let's not wake them up. And so, as they continue to tiptoe into the camp, they didn't realize that they could have walked as loudly as they pleased, for there was no one in sight. There's an interesting verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Amen? Well, they come to the first tent, and one of the, one of the lepers, he enters that tent very cautiously, expecting at any moment for a sentry to come and strike off his head or at least call him to attention, but not a voice is heard. The sound of horses can be heard as they pull against the chains that bind them, but apart from that, everything is still quiet. Guys, guys, come over here. Come in here and see this. There is nobody home. And then another voice comes back. You've got to be kidding. Are you serious? Nobody's in the tent? Yes, come in here and see. Come quick. And so cautiously, all four ragged, Lepers step inside this tent, and sure enough, the tent is empty. And what is even more remarkable about this whole experience is that right there in front of them, sitting on the table, is a hot meal ready and waiting for them. Nut meat stew. They can't believe it. And so they needed no discussion to decide what they would do with the stew. They just sat down and ate and ate and ate until they were full. And they looked around them in the tent and they could see, wow, 
there's some really nice Syrian garments in here. So they started to dress themselves in the Syrian robes. And as they looked around further, they saw that there was gold and silver, spoils of war, just lying around the tent. They said, guys, let's bank this. And so they took all of these things and they banked their bounty the old-fashioned way. The Bible says they told us they went and hid them. In ancient times, they'd go dig a hole and bury it. That's how they banked it. You just would want to remember where you put it, wouldn't you? Anyhow, after they finished in the first tent, they decide, well, let's try another tent. And so Again, they cautiously step along to a second tent. They look inside, and again, they find that the second tent is empty also. And again, there is a meal sitting, waiting, ready for them. Taro, chocolate so good ice cream, (laughs) ginger beer, vegetarian pizza, all the things that I really love. They're all just sitting there on a table, inviting them to come and eat. And so they eat until they're content, and they eat and drink and carry away as much gold as they can. You and I cannot begin to imagine the delirious joy that must have overwhelmed these four guys in such abundance. On and on throughout the night, they continued this process. They ate and ate and took and took as much as they could carry how the tables have turned. They woke up that morning without a cent. They were starving. They literally went from rags to riches. They were now dressed in some of the finest robes that could be found, all in a single day. When God provides, he really provides, and he provides like God. Friends, faith, we can take a little note from this, that faith is always a venture, like for these lepers. It was a venture for them to step into the Syrian camp. But faith is always a venture that God honors. God always honors faith and faithfulness. And I want you to just pause here and reflect. I can't help but notice, as I think on this story, how true it is of the gospel when you think about it, because we too, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter one, it says the whole head is sick. We are spiritual lepers apart from Jesus. We suffer with the leprosy of sin. And there have been many lepers who come to God, or at least before they come to him, they're afraid of him because they think that God will not be merciful, that God will not be gracious, that he will want to destroy them. And so it keeps them back. But when that sinner takes a step in faith towards Jesus, when they come to Jesus and accept him as their personal savior and forever friend, what do they find? They find amazing grace. They find blessed assurance. They find wonderful peace. Amen? They find more than they could ever imagine. And the Bible tells us that he exchanges our rags for his robe of righteousness. Amen? And in light of an offer like that coming from Jesus, why would we want to hold on to our own rags? This is why the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1, the Bible says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Amen? Ephesians 3 and verse 8 says this. It talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, Google is a very good search engine. 
but it cannot search fully the riches of Christ that God makes available to those who accept him and love him. When I do that, that was an amen moment. (laughs) Don't miss the amen moment. All right, let's read together verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. The Bible doesn't tell us how many tents they went through before they finally had this amazing thought strike them. But suddenly it occurs to them, or at least it occurred to somebody, guys, what we're doing isn't patriotic. In fact, guys, what we're doing, it is scarcely human. How can we sit here enjoying a feast and hoarding wealth untold when our friends, our family, our loved ones, our people are starving to death just a stone's throw away from where we are? And this thought just They cannot shake it. Suddenly pictures, as they reflect on what they're saying here, pictures of Samaria and the people there, of the hollow eyes and the hideous meals that they're eating there come to mind. They remember the king who has sackcloth under his royal robes. In fact, the Hebrew of the passage could be translated like this. It could be saying, this is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace that is a sin. And if we continue before morning like this, then some punishment may come upon us because of what we're doing. Now, it's interesting as I did a little bit of research on this passage. I find this, this moment in the story one of the most remarkable. But as I've done a little bit of research, I discovered something interesting, and that is if you read the writings of Josephus, Josephus tells us that he believes one of these four lepers was a man by the name of Gehazi, the former servant of Elisha who had received the leprosy from Naaman. You remember that story? This, that just is very interesting if this is true. And so um, Jewish writings continue to go on further to say that they also believe that the three men who were with Gehazi were possibly his sons. So if that is true, if this is Gehazi, who has already been punished because of greed, well, it would make sense to me that he was most probably the one upon, well, for whom the penny dropped first. He was the one that woke up to what they were doing first. And as they realized and they sat and they pondered this incredible thought, we do not well when this is a day of good news, they realized that something needed to be done. Because if they were to delay now, well, if they were to hold this secret for just a matter of 24 hours, hundreds might die of starvation within the walls of the city. This was a message that demanded urgency. And friends, I hope you're realizing that there is a very strong application coming through here for you and I right now this afternoon because we have a king's household as well. We are part of the king's household.
And it is a great company, a multitude that exists all around the world. They live in every corner of this planet. They're in Brisbane. They're in Sydney. They're in New Zealand. They're in China. They're in the islands. They're in Africa. They're in every country of this world. People need to hear the message of salvation and the secret which we know, we know about this wonderful bounty that God has prepared for those that love him. It is up to us to go and tell. We who know best the grace of Christ and who know what God can do for those who have been defiled by the leprosy of sin, we have a story that must be told. And we heard a message about how that is a story that we should tell this morning. We do not well to hold our peace in times like this. Verse 10. So they went and they called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. I do not know of a finer illustration of what it means to be a preacher, of what it means to be a witness, of what it means to be a Christian. We were not called to philosophize or theorize. We were called to be witnesses. We were called to go to a dying world, a world that is starving for lack of the bread of life and say there is a way to be saved and Jesus is the only way. We have that message. We are witnesses, we are heralders, we are proclaimers. And you might not think that God could use you to be a witness, but friends, God often uses the most unlikely people. A good witness is just like a sign. A sign, in order to be effective, it doesn't matter if the sign is old or young, pretty or ugly, it just has to point in the right direction in order to be understood. And if you are continually living a life that is pointing to Jesus, then you are a good witness. God can use you. I will never forget the time when I was at an AYC in Cairns, and Pastor Torres, some of you might know Pastor Louis Torres, he got up and he was preaching a sermon on how rejects make good evangelists. And as he was preaching his sermon, he looked down and he saw me in the audience and he said, take Miss Fong, for example. (laughs) If God can use her, he can use anyone. I didn't know whether to be flattered or flattened, but... (laughs) But it's true, God uses anybody. And uh, that is exactly what we're finding here in the story. We must not keep the gospel to ourselves. And that's, the gospel means good news. Do we have good news to share? I mean, we've spent the last few days listening to wonderful messages about what God offers to us in his word. So we have a story to tell. Yes, what the lepers did, I want you to note too, was a bold thing. But note that they did what they did unanimously and they did it instantaneously. You say, Sharissa, why do you say it was a bold thing for the lepers to go back to Samaria and tell this good news? Well, keep in mind, lepers weren't exactly, exactly the most popular people in town. They were social outcasts. They were cut off from their community. In fact, Many of their families, probably within the city, have held funerals for these guys because as far as they're concerned, they're dead to them. 
And so for them to go back to a city that has despised them, to a city that has shut them off, that has cut them off, that has shut them out, that took courage, but it took compassion. But they went back because they had a sense of duty. They felt upon them rested the duty of saving Samaria. And for that, they wasted no delay because as the sun reddened the sky, they knew that lives were at stake. To waste time was to sacrifice life. So they rose up and went and told. Now here's where this message gets its feet. Because if, for this story, if these men felt such a solemn sense of duty to announce their news to a perishing city, how much more should we feel a sense of duty to share our news with a perishing world? As Edmund Burke once said, he said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Now, if we were to translate this story into a modern-day parable, and suppose there was a community in outback Australia, and within this community there was one man who had a whole cupboard full of, uh, let's see, canned baked beans, tin baked beans, and nobody else had any food. We would think that what that guy did, if he didn't share his food with everybody around him because they were dying uh, of starvation, we would think that what he was doing was inhumane, Correct? We would think that that guy was really, really bad and we'd want some justice. Go and share your baked beans. But listen, Ellen White says this. When you think about that, this, this sin of silence, when you know something, she says in Testimonies, Volume 8, she says, Christians are daily repeating this sin. A little boy was traveling with his parents one day and they were traveling along this mountainous road. And as they were driving along this road, suddenly a car sped up and overtook them. And as the car sped up and overtook them, there was a bend in the road and another car came round the corner, bang, cars collided. And it was a very, very bad accident. The little fellow, he saw a body flying one way. I mean, it was really bad. Well, the family kept driving and nobody really had much to say. It was a very sobering sight that this family had witnessed. But as they continued to drive, they got home that night and uh, the parents, they tried to comfort him, tried to say things that would put him at ease and they put him to bed. But as time went on, it was very apparent that the little fellow just wasn't going to sleep. So his father went into the room and said, son, won't you try to sleep? And the little boy with his eyes wide open, he broke into tears and he said, Daddy, when people die, can we sleep? If we believed as strongly that men and women without the bread of life that comes to us in the word, that comes down from heaven, if we believed that to keep this to ourselves was a sin, then wouldn't we too be more earnest and more urgent in sharing our faith with other people? We would struggle to remain silent. As I read the spirit of prophecy, I have found some really good quotes and I've been struggling to try and choose the ones that I thought was most appropriate because there's so much. Listen to this. My brother, my sister... 
Is it nothing to you to know that every day souls are going down into the grave unwarned and unsaved, ignorant of their need of eternal life and of the atonement made for them by the Savior? Listen to what Spurgeon said. I was telling my workshop the other day that Spurgeon, one of the greatest Baptist preachers of all time, one of the greatest preachers, I think, of all time, full stop, He was a man who was so consumed with a love for Jesus, he had a passion for souls, and it gripped him. I told them in my workshop that Spurgeon was so consumed with his love for Jesus that one night he broke out into a sermon on Jesus in his sleep. His wife woke up, took notes, handed them to him when he woke up the next morning, and he went down to the tabernacle and preached the sermon. That's how much Spurgeon loved Jesus. Uh, you, go, you can Google his sermons on, online and read them. There's some gold in what he has to say. But listen to what he says. And I'm going to use some old English. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. A minister conversed with a man who was professing to be a Christian. He asked him, have you united with the church? Have you joined the church of God? And he said, well, no, I didn't think there was a need to. The dying thief never joined the church. Well, the pastor continued. He said, well, have you talked to your neighbors about Christ? Do you talk to them about the gospel? He said, why no? The dying thief never talked to his neighbors about Jesus. Well, the pastor said, do you go on missions then? Do you give money to missions? If you don't talk to people, maybe you support the work of the church. The man said, no, the dying thief never supported missions. Why should I? And that's when the minister said, well, my friend, the difference between you and the dying thief is that he was a dying thief. You're a living one. I think some of us have been robbing God of a service. I mean, there are souls out there that need somebody to say something to them, to to be a helping hand to them, and we are just robbing God of an opportunity to save a life because we refuse not to lift a finger. We have got to lay our lives down for the purposes of God. This is not about a picnic. This is not about a happy Sabbath Every week, this is not an invitation to continuously good times. You and I are living in the middle of a war. Lives are at stake. There's an eternal destiny for every human being on the planet that is weighing in the balance. We need to do something. The time demands action. I can't help but think of a sermon that I heard of a preacher by the name of Carter Conlon shortly after September 11 and the the attacks, we all know about those. He said this, my mind is forever branded with the story that I heard of police officers from the city of New York. As people were fleeing from a crumbling building, there were police officers and firemen and others who were running towards the building saying, run for your life at their own peril. And in some cases, he said, I believe that they knew that they were going to die, but there was a sense of duty Oh, that our sense of duty would not be any less for your kingdom than were these firemen and police officers who were running into a burning building to save lives. 
Would to God that the church of God would realize the urgency of the hour in which we live. Christ's Object Lessons, page 303. Multitudes are perishing. But how few of the professed followers of Christ are burdened for these souls. The destiny of the world hangs in the balance, but this hardly moves those who claim to believe the most far-reaching truth ever given to mortals. There is a stupor, a paralysis upon the people of God which prevents them from understanding the duty of the hour. Sometimes I wonder if perhaps that God had, if he had told us that the gospel was a secret, maybe it might have spread more quickly because we're good at sharing secrets, aren't we? Um, But you know what? Ants, I think when the Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and be wise, ants make the best evangelists. If you ever leave something on your kitchen sink, all it takes is for one ant to find your Marmite sandwich, because we all like Marmite. And you would, that one ant finds the Marmite sandwich, and that ant goes back, and it bumps into every friend that they can find and tells them, there's a sandwich over here, and they all come and have a party around your sandwich. You know what? Evangelism is like the ant, and evangelism is like the lepers. Evangelism is just one beggar telling other beggars about where they found bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. This is the words of Paul. Listen to the passion with which he writes. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. I have this burden for souls. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He had this burden to preach. And you know what? Sometimes when we preach, when we share, when we witness, we may not see the results of our activities straight away. But come over to Isaiah chapter 55. This is a verse that I claim often. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I just want to share a couple of stories that, have, that have make these verses real for me. I am very privileged to be joined this afternoon by some family members. Um, I've got my aunt and uncle here, my mum's here, and I've got my grandparents here, and that's very special. We have been, and I come to Queensland, I go to my grandparents' house, and I have a holiday. All the, I leave, as soon as I come to Queensland, it's the same. Every time it's the same. I just feel this peace come over me. I leave all my problems in Sydney. But um, <laughs> now I'm going to go back there soon, but anyway. But I came to my grandparents' house, and this week I was, we were spending some time together, and we were sharing 
or one evening, we were talking about how we came into the message, and Grandma was telling her story. And I hope if I get anything wrong, she's right there, she'll correct me. But uh, there was a man that must have gone door knocking for the appeal for missions, and I think my grandma mum, so my great-grandmother, she made a donation and they left an Appeal for Missions magazine in her home, my great-grandmother's house. And uh, that magazine, grandma tells me, in those days was a lot thicker than the signs of the times. It was like this thick and it was, it was large. But uh, when my grandma went to her mum's place and she saw that magazine there, something inside her just said to her, you must have that magazine. You've got to have it. So she asked her mum, could she take it? And her mum said, sure, she could have it. She took it home and she read it. And in the back of that magazine was a little form that you could fill in and send away for a correspondence Bible study course. My grandma started studying the truth of the Bible through a correspondence Bible study course. And uh, that wasn't easy for her because my grandpa, who's sitting here, he was a very uh, dedicated Catholic man, And that caused some problems in the home, but grandma, she continued to study the word, and she said, this is the amazing thing, but one night, uh, she was feeling really troubled about what was going on, uh, the trouble that all of these new truths were causing, and she she was so nervous, but she sat there on her bed, and she said to us, she said, she felt, as she sat there, she felt like these arms came around her, and a voice spoke to her and said, don't worry, don't worry. The next day... Guess what? She discovers the truth about the Sabbath. And as she discovers the Sabbath truth, it began to shine a light on all other truths. Suddenly, everything began to fall into place. And later, she, she went forward in baptism, became a baptized Seventh-day Adventist. All because somebody went to her mom's home and left a magazine there. That's all they did. And now grandma's in the church, and now grandpa got baptized, and My great-grandmother, she came round as well. And you know what? I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if that man hadn't gone and left a magazine at that house. You and I just don't know what, what the little things that we do, the little witness that we do will do for somebody else. I think heaven's going to re- be a really wonderful place to visit when we get there. But uh, you might say, well, Sharissa, that's easy for you to say, but sometimes I just don't feel like witnessing. Well, I tell you what, God can work with people like you as well because he works with me like that. I think I might have shared this once before, but I'll share it again. I was coming back from a youth conference in Guam, sorry, in Pompeii, which is in Micronesia. Do you know about that, Micronesia? I didn't even know Micronesia existed till I went there. But I got back from this wonderful time we had there. God really moved. It was a wonderful program. Came back to Guam, and then I flew from Guam to Cairns. And I landed in Cairns at 11.30 in, at night. And when I landed, I was so excited to be back in the country, to be back in Australia. I could use my money. I could use my phone. I could plug my charger in the wall without an adapter. There's just no place like home. And I came off the plane, and I heard my name come over the loudspeaker. It said, Sharissa Fong, will you please come to the baggage department immediately? And I was so thrilled because I thought to myself, they're welcoming me home as well. Well, it turns out I'd left my iPad on the plane. So I went, got the iPad, and then I came down, and I needed to go over to the domestic airport to catch my flight to Sydney the next morning. And so I looked over, but it was late at night, and I didn't want to walk over there by myself. 
because even though I could, yeah, never mind. So I just didn't want to go there by myself. And uh, I saw a man in the distance dragging a suitcase, and he was an older man, and I thought to myself, well, he looks safe, so I'll follow him. I followed him at a distance. We went into the domestic airport, and nobody was around, just the cleaners. I thought, great. Went and found a seat next to a power socket on the wall, plugged my phone in, began texting my family and friends, don't worry, I'm nearly home. You can be excited, telling them. Anyway, uh, this man came, and there are heaps of seats available in this airport, but he came and he sat right next to me, just two seats between us in this airport. And I was a little bit annoyed because I'm thinking, you know, this is nighttime. We don't really want to talk right now. There's plenty of seats for you to choose from. You don't need to come sit next to me, but he did. Anyway, I smiled at him and continued texting my friends. And then he said to me, so uh, where did you come from? I said, oh, I've just come from Pompeii. Kept texting. He said, oh, so did I. I said, oh, that's interesting. Kept texting. He said, uh, what were you doing in Pompeii? I said, oh, I was at a youth conference. Oh, who was the youth conference? Where was it held? Sorry, where was it held? I said, oh, I was in the Seventh-day Adventist school there. Kept texting. He says, oh, yeah. What's a, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? I said, yes. Kept texting. What's a Seventh-day Adventist? And I was in the middle of a text message. It was midnight, and I didn't feel like talking to him. I mean, my mission trip had ended. When I landed in Cairns, I thought my mission was over. But you know what? When we serve the Lord, every trip we take is a mission trip (laughs) because you meet starving people everywhere. But I wasn't thinking straight. I'm not telling you to copy me. I'm telling you what not to do. So he asks me, what is a Seventh-day Adventist at midnight? And so I I love it when people ask this question because I get so excited, I never know where to start. So I stopped texting and I said to him, well, are you a Christian? He said, no, but, well, sorry, he said, yes. And I said, well, what kind of a Christian? He says, oh, I'm not really with any religious persuasion, but I've read the Bible through from cover to cover. So I knew that he was seeking. Anyway, we began this conversation in the airport. I began talking to a man that I didn't even want to talk to. We talked for four hours. We finished at 4.30 in the morning. We went back and forth and we did everything. I don't know what, you heard me, I was in the panel here a minute ago, had nothing really to say, but I don't know, I couldn't stop talking to this man in the airport. I didn't know where all the words came from. I didn't know I knew so much. We talked about the Sabbath. We talked about the state of the dead, the second coming, heaven and hell, the millennium. We talked about Revelation 3, Revelation 20, Revelation 14, Daniel 2, Daniel 7. It was the most unconventional Bible study ever. But that man, he listened the whole time. About 2 o'clock in the morning, he started to fall asleep on me. And I said, oh, Lord, please, this is the most amazing conversation I've ever had with anybody. Would you please wake him up? (laughs) And that's when the Lord reminded me that I had some choc chip cookies in my bag, (laughs) which I had bought when I was in Pompeii because I was craving processed food. And I had eaten the whole packet except for two. So I said to this man, his name was Wayne, I said, Wayne, would you like a cookie? He said, oh, yes. So he had one, I had one. We both woke up and kept going. It was just the most amazing conversation. And as Wayne was talking and we were talking, he said to me at the end of that conversation that he believed that our conversation had not been an accident. He believed it had been a, he didn't use these words, but it was to the effect of a divine appointment. And he also said to me that what you say, I've talked to a lot of people, but what you say 
makes sense. And you know what? Our message does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. And friends, when you meet people, don't be like me. Don't be like me and feel tired of someone else you have to witness to. No, have an urgency in your soul. Here is a dying person that needs the bread of life. Here is somebody that I can bring to Jesus. Listen to what Testimonies Volume 8 says. One line, Christ gave himself for sinners. Let that thought sink into your mind. Jesus gave himself for sinners. Are we as a people asleep? Oh, if the young men and young women in our institutions who are now unready for the Lord's appearing, unfitted to become members of the Lord's family, could only discern the signs of the times, what a change would be seen in them. Friends, I believe that we are seeing some incredible things that are happening in our world right now. And I don't want to take away, I could, that's a whole other subject, so we won't go there. But you're watching the headlines. You're seeing what's happening in the religious world. We are so close. The table is set. Everything is ready to go. God is just holding back the winds of strife because he is waiting for more people to come to know him. And he's counting on us to share that news. In closing, the air, there was a flight that crashed into a river. It, was a, it plummeted into the Boston River on the 13th of January several, several years ago. And as it did, there was a man that was flung out of the plane and he was flailing around in this icy cold water. Well, a helicopter pilot came over and he was offering you know, a life buoy to people in the, in the water to try and get them up. And he got the boy to this man that was flailing around in the water. But as soon as that man got that life line, guess what he did? He took it and he gave it to somebody else. So they winched that person up, dropped it again to him. He took it, gave it to someone else. Five times they dropped that lifeline to this man. Five times he took it, gave it to someone else. When he came back the sixth time, the man was gone. He drowned. He he was gone. We do not know what he was, who he was rather, but we know that this man represents what Jesus has done for us. He gave himself for the lives of all of us. We owe it to others to do something for them too. I want to finish right here, and I would like to finish with an appeal, and that is God's house is full, but his field is empty. Who will go? and work in his field. Would you just close your eyes with me as I finish with a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for the story of these four lepers and how you provided for them a deliverance that was divine. All they sought was deliverance from famine, but you gave them clothes and food and and gold, more than they could have imagined. I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this and on the burden that they had to share the news with their city, May this story too inspire within us a necessity of sharing the gospel with those around us in this community because, Lord, if we hold our peace, we do not well. I pray that this conviction will stir us to action and I thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, we're going to try and sing a song called My House is Full, but My Field is Empty. May the words of this song speak directly to your hearts. Thank you.
There is peace and contentment in my Father's house today. Lots of food is on His table, and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. What a hush comes the singing as the Father sadly cries. My house is This has been 3ABN On The Road. 
If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Henry Higgins played I Will Follow Thee. 